welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 255. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing the eighth Star Trek feature film, Star Trek First Contact. Here we go. Star Trek First Contact, release date November 22nd, 1996. Directed by Jonathan Frakes, produced by Rick Berman, Marty Hornstein, and Peter Lauritsen. Screenplay by Brennan Braga and Ronald D. Moore. Story by Rick Berman, Brennan Braga, and Ronald D. Moore. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. Cast includes Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as William T. Riker, Brent Spiner as Data, LeVar Burton as Geordi LaForge, Michael Dorn as Worf, Gates McFadden as Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, Alfred Woodard as Lily Sloan, James Cromwell as Zephram Cochran, and Alice Krieg as the Borg Queen. Captain Jean-Luc Picard awakens from a nightmare in which he relived his assimilation by the Borg six years earlier. He is then contacted by Admiral Hayes, who informs him of a new Borg threat against Earth. Picard's orders are for the Enterprise to patrol the neutral zone in case of Romulan aggression. Starfleet is worried that Picard is too emotionally involved with to join the fight against the Borg. Learning the fleet is losing the battle, the Enterprise crew disobeys orders and heads for Earth, where a single Borg-cubed ship holds its own against a group of Starfleet vessels. Enterprise arrives in time to assist the crew of the USS Defiant and its Klingon commander, Worf. Picard takes control of the fleet and directs the surviving ships to concentrate their firepower on a seemingly unimportant point on the Borg ship. The cube is destroyed after launching a smaller sphere towards the planet Earth. Data, report. We appear to be caught in a temporal wake. Captain, Earth. The atmosphere contains high concentrations of methane, carbon monoxide, and fluorine. Life signs? Population approximately 9 billion. All Borg. How? They must have done it in the past. They went back and assimilated Earth, changed history. But if they changed history, why are we still here? Temporal wake must have somehow protected us from the changes in the timeline. Sir, the vortex is collapsing. Hold your course, Mr. Hawk. I must follow them back. Repair whatever damage they've done. First Contact, the great next-gen feature. I'm assuming we're all going to have good things to say here. Uh, Adam, why don't you kick us off? Yes, yes, I agree, Brian. I think we will um, have... um, many good things to say about this movie it's yes it's easily the um the best of the next um gen gen's groups films i think um i think you guys would both agree as well there might be a few viewers out there who don't but um yeah it's a, it's got um it's got a little bit of everything i mean you know you got um you got the board coming back from you know the series so you got a villain kind of like what they did with Khan. Um, they brought um, they brought a villain into this into the storyline, um, and we get new stuff with the Borg. You know, we get the we get a queen, which the, I believe this is new, kind of a new structure. Get a for the sphere Borg. instead of a cube. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> new geometry. Um, um, you get Data, who is intrigued by the Borg. So um, as opposed to Generations, which I I know we all we kind of tore up, but we all kind of really like Generations of the movie. This one is a lot more. The story's a lot better. It's structurally better. The action's better. I mean, it's just everything about it is is just kind of better. We talk, you know, Picard is a much stronger character in this film. He kind of goes through his um, obsession of um, 
you know, really being humiliated by the Borg, um, you know, six years earlier, you know, and we had a, you know, they had that episode right after, you know, as a simulation where he was kind of going through that emotional distress when he went back home to, to France. And so in this movie, we still say that lingering with him, you know, um, and, you know, he, this is something we don't really see in Picard, this revenge, this very passionate revenge, um, you know, that he's got to get even and he's got to make it right, you know, after, you know, the Borg go back, you know, hundreds of years to first contact and they mess that, that all up. So we get to kind of see a different, I feel like we get to see a little different side of Picard. And it, it to me, it's um, not only is it entertaining, but I think it advances his character and it gives it his character a little bit more depth than, you know, what we were able, you know, it's cinematic. So it's a little bit more than what we saw in the series. So um, like I said, you know, all the characters kind of seem to have more of a purpose in this movie, you know, you had on the planet, you had Riker, you know, dealing with um, getting um, first contact going. And then you had the ship with um, Picard and data. So it, yeah, it's all free flowing. I'm kind of rambling on here. So I'll let Steve jump in and give his thoughts. Uh, Steve, how, how great was it that this movie centered the story around this, pivotal but never seen moment in like trek universe history of first contact you know yeah yeah i mean that's just the icing on the cake i mean it's 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 a it's hard to separate what it's covering from how it's covering it you know in terms of the events in the star trek timeline but yeah it's so important i mean it it uh it you know i don't know where to begin with it i mean it's 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 very easy to take for granted that it might be the most important moment in our kind of this kind of fictitious history, you know, and yet we didn't have a lot of facts about it. We just knew it existed. We knew approximately the timeline, and then they they decided to cover it. And and because the the film is so well paced and it just and it, and it's and it's written well that you know you you can appreciate that, but you don't dwell on it. It's not like you just all you're thinking about is the they're covering a moment in history and how big of a deal it is. It's, it's an, it's a next gen adventure that happens to be involving a pivotal moment in Star Trek history. And because it's so well done, so much came out of this, right? I mean, we had too much Borg and Voyager. We had enterprise uh, deal with some of it, even, you know, in terms of the, the first episode and seeing Zephram Cochran. And then there was another episode later with the Borg and all this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's that that was really cool. And um, on top of it, you have the the cameos by, you know, Trek players and, and so forth during it. I, I somehow managed to not know a great deal about what it was, you know, some of the details going into the first time I saw it. I remember that, you know, this was still, yeah, there was the Internet and all that, but it wasn't as developed and it wasn't so much a part of our life our lives back then. And so it was a nice surprise. You see these characters pop up in these cameos and the actors and oh, how cool is this? And it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just icing on what's already a well-paced, great, fun action film. And then we talk about, you know, we talked about several, um, podcasts ago about how, um, Leonard Nimoy always seemed to play Spock in the right time too, and and you know, and maybe to a lesser degree, but Patrick Stewart does the same thing. I mean, he's a great actor, but it also I, it never feels wrong how he's playing Picard. You know, it's we don't have we don't know what much happened between generations and first contact. We know it's approximately two years and so on, but you know, they lost a ship, gained a ship, got all this going on. Most of the crew came over and stuff too, but it do, it does feel like you know 
it's a little different. And, uh, and as we kind of alluded last time, it, he kind of, it's a, a bit of a re- redemption in terms of his, you know, the, the action hero kind of thing, but it's not too over the top. They had to kind of compensate for how he appeared in generations, but it's just, uh, it obviously built on the Borg lore, it, uh, but didn't really wipe away anything in the past. It's it's a, the first time we these uniforms, you know, which carried over into DS9 and, and then two more next-gen films. Oh, first time the E. Yeah, and then, of course, yeah, of course, the E. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's great. What do we think of uh, what do we think of the E, both the exterior as well as the, the new bridge and all that? I dig it. I never had a problem with it. I mean, I, I wasn't... I, I guess it just it seemed natural to me. I wasn't uh, bowled over either way, you know. But I always got yeah. I, I never had a problem with you either. I, I I dug it as well. It always kind of felt like a mix between um, the original ship and um, the next gen. Just kind of like I, I don't know. It kind of had a little bit of each of those ships in it, and then it's kind of a, its own uniqueness as well. I like it. I, I think it's a great design. I really like. It's a little, just a tiny bit Star Warsy. But it's okay. It doesn't move Star Wars. It just has. It just looks a little bit like it. But that's that's fine. You mean the darker colors or the? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. Kind of looks like the um, like uh, Vader's from Empire. You know. Gotcha. But I, I I like it. I really like the bridge. It's got a real almost you know more of a battleship kind of feel to it. But um the lighting and stuff uh, no I, I like it a lot I've, I've always liked it yeah so of course yes I, I love this movie um i think it's great i think it's pretty damn brilliant story the writing it seems so effortless it seems like everything seems so natural and perfect and of course this is what you would do but i mean that's not how it works all this stuff was made up and they had to come up with every single little bit of it and it was great and it has it is such a like crowd pleaser just something. I don't know. Nikki the nose in the, the you know the 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 big uh, in the um, holodeck. That stuff is great. And I remember seeing that on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, and when you can take a reference that people can appreciate from the series, but then make it not be lost on a larger audience too, like the Dixon Hill stuff. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's cool. Totally. Yeah, you you wouldn't have needed to see that the series to follow that, but of course, if you did, then it was then it was a blast. The Performances are all good, including the the guest stars. You know, Alfred Woodard, Alice Krieg, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Jerry Goldsmith's score is wonderful. Just right from the very beginning, the titles are freaking classy, you know? Mm-hmm. His Air Force One main theme is a little bit similar to this, but that came later. So you can, you can, you can knock Air Force One, not First Contact. <laughs> yeah, the podcast people on Air Force One are saying that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Air Force One podcast. But yeah, no, it's so great. And it just grows on you too. As as I've aged and as the movie has aged over the years, I've appreciated different things. I remember when I first saw it, I think my favorite stuff was the Data Board Queen stuff. But now I think it's it's probably the Picard Lily stuff, you know, their scene in, in the ready room, the Moby Dick scene. I mean, that's the best scene in the movie. And there isn't a special effect in that scene. Oh, by the way, though, the special effects in this movie are pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. They're really good. That's another thing this movie does great. The Star Trek features prior to JJ's and not counting the original. So, sorry. So, Star Trek's 2 through 10 were all made relatively cheaply. Even this movie, it was not made for the massive 
big budget blockbustery dollars that most big studio pictures were made. This was still relatively inexpensive, but I didn't think that at the time. At the time, it was it was a huge blockbuster for me. It might have been the only next gen movie that that was both critically successful and financially successful. The movie made plenty of money right from opening day. I've told this story so many times that I'll make it very very brief. But going to see this movie on screen was, I mean, honestly, not just my best, my favorite Star Trek mem like Star Trek fan memory. Seeing this movie on screen, it was probably my greatest movie going memory of my life and i'm a movie nut that before you know pre-covid i went to the movies all the time i built a movie theater in my house you know i mean i'm i'm nuts about watching movies on a, on the big screen and 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 of, of after a lifetime of doing that i can still say opening day of first contact was my my greatest experience i was in the army at the time i had put in a pass so i could get off that friday so i could go see it first thing first show and i and i went down to the theater I was going to see it at and there was nobody there and the theater was closed and I pulled up and I was and I was so like disheartened I was so sad like oh I thought this was going to be a big deal that's why I took the day off you know and I'm standing there in an empty parking lot like walking up to the empty ticket box to see like when when is this place opening or whatever and a car pulls up to me and and a guy says I don't remember but he, he basically said oh I, I heard everybody's going to see it at whatever movie theater I'm like, oh, so this was in Austin. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll try there. And I went over there, and of course, it was just a madhouse, just thousands and thousands of fans and nowhere to park. And the first ticket I could get was for like hours later because the first few shows and multiple screens had sold out. And I waited in a big long line with all these Star Trek fans, and I saw a sold out afternoon show of the movie, and the entire room was erupting and cheering at all the, all the right moments together, laughing at all the lines together. You know, and I, so I spent the, I spent hours with the Trek fans in line talking about it. I, I had lunch while I was waiting at some restaurant there. It was, you know, completely full of Star Trek fans waiting to see First Contact. And it was the only experience like that I've ever had, and it was and it was great. And and I toiled away as like a a solo Star Trek kind of fan for a long time, and it just made me feel like I was a part of this big thing. And and to experience it, it was the only only experience like that I've ever had. You know, the closest thing. Maybe, you know, to some of the modern Marvel movies, there have been similar experiences, but I, I'm not the Marvel nut that I was, the Star Trek nut. And and on top of everything else, of course, the movie was fantastic. You know, it, it exceeded our overhyped expectations. So it really was such a great experience that I'm never forgetting. And I can never watch the movie without thinking about that. Like that moment when Worf says, assimilate this. I just remember the, I remember the crowd cheering, you know, and, and Jerry Goldsmith's music right there is so perfect. And I love that I'm going to have that, that memory forever. And it's it just, it's, if the movie wasn't good, <laughs> none of that, there wouldn't be a story I would ever tell, right? Such a great experience. So many great things that we won't, that can't possibly get to them all. I love the way this movie uses Data's emotion chip from the very first scene when he's, you know, he turns it off. And that, I don't know, it's, it, it seems like Generations was so messy that it took an entire movie and in the, to try and sort of explain it, kind of, maybe. And then in this movie, in like three lines in one scene, you completely understood everything about the emotion chip you needed to understand. Even if you'd never seen Generations, you got it in two seconds. Data there at times when I envy you. And then it comes back because the board use it. The board queen uses it, and of course you get Brent and Spider's great performances. 
but so much of that whole B story or C, whatever you, whatever you want to count it, is in keeping with the seven years of the show and Data's efforts to get closer to humanity. Yeah, and it was a good way to kind of expand on what they what they did in Generations. Obviously, you know, they the crafting of the skin, you know, that, that scene where she blows on the, the little piece of, you know, uh, it's just, it's interesting to kind of put yourself in his shoes. He's never felt that before and just kind of what kind of sensation, you know, and like you, you mentioned, Brett, he's great at what he does. Um, just kind of able to pull that scene off like it's almost orgasmic for him when he, when he feels that sensation. So it was just kind of one step further for um for data and his um his path to humanity uh you know and jump into the end you know when <laughs> bicarda how, how long were you attempted what was it like point zero eight six seconds in eternity for an android so um yeah you, it's um yeah it was a, this this movie really propelled the picard and data characters quite a bit uh james cromwell is great i mean he's always great but i do remember I loved his performance back when I first saw it, but I do remember slightly thinking, I don't in any way feel like he based this at all on... No. Was it Glenn Corbett? That sounds right. Was I that, think so. Yeah, I think it was Glenn Corbett. You know, the, the first, in, in the original series in Metamorphosis, when the guy played Cochrane. I, I don't think he did, but I remember at the time also thinking, you know, maybe that was a mistake or something. But now I watch it and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's referencing that. But generally, the character, it, it doesn't seem, his performance does not seem like entirely inconsistent with Glenn Corbett's. Because by the time you get to Metamorphosis, he really is a lot more enlightened. And that's part of the journey we see that character go on in this movie. Um, so I think I think James Cromwell was was great and, and excellent casting. Yeah, and he'd, um, in the original, he'd have been... He'd been alive on that planet for hundreds of years so i mean you know you'd almost become a totally different person yeah that's true and he was made younger so he lived all these years longer but he was made younger than he was now so yeah i mean it's it, it I, I thought about that too but it, it just didn't bother me at all either this was jonathan frake's first well not just star trek feature but i think it was his first feature period and he does a great job you know he's not the most I don't know, visual director, but he, but he's really good. You know, he, he obviously really thinks about and cares about um, the movie that he's producing. I, I was thinking about like those kind of like that little mini horror movie sequence in engineering when we, Paul, you know, when, when they, we first see the Borg actually, mm-hmm. but we don't see them. That's one of the cool parts too. You know, it's, he really does shoot that stuff like a little horror movie. There's some like shadows and things. and We don't actually see the Borg. Even when they, the next, not long after that, they, they enter sick bay and you get the Picardo cameo. We don't actually see the Borg there. We just like hear them. It's more like their POV or something. You know, th- those are the kind of things I, I think when I watch it, like that, I mean, that, that's, that's freaks, like really planning it out and, and making it, very effectively. So yeah, um, you were talking about the you, you mentioned you know the horror scene with the board. I kind of thought about this more watching this watching this movie this this time around than I have I think I've ever had. But I mean, I started thinking about kind of there's a dark side of this movie. You know, probably like half the crew died on this on this mission. You know, either being assimilated or you know dying in the battle. You know, you also have you know Picard. You know, kind of executing two of the crew members that had become um, you know bored. Um, so, but you have so many, you know, the comical moments that are kind of the lighthearted moments, it kind of brushes over that. But I, I, I feel like I noticed that more this time than I had before, just the dark spots in this film. 
Well, and it has a. I mean, just compare the the look of the movie to like generations. This is it is a, it's a dark movie like visually. Sure. The Enterprise E is lit that way too. You know, it was designed that way to be a, a feature ship, unlike the D. But I like the way the movie looks. No, I was talking about emotional tone. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. The lighting and stuff. Like yeah, that. no, I'm just saying it, it's kind of all to goes together. You know, it yeah. is. Yeah. But uh, but I think that's an, yeah because you were talking about the horror aspect of you know the board you know the, the dark corridors and the kind of the close you know you kind of felt claustrophobic um, in some of those scenes. So yeah, I definitely think that was kind of like a horror kind of style intentional thing to do to kind of make you feel anxious. It's almost like um, I don't mind that Next Gen only made one great movie. Because this movie is so good and such a crowd pleaser, mm-hmm. and nothing can ever take that away. You know what I mean? It, it's so good that it, that it's okay that Insurrection and Nemesis, and you know, I'm not not, not saying they're terrible. We're going to be talking about them in the coming weeks, but I would rather take have this movie just like it is, one fantastic movie than two good ones. <laughs> right, right. You know, and um, that's I mean you know we'll get into that more when we we talk more about the the next gen movies but I mean if I did have one kind of disappointment about this movie and it's not the movie's fault is that they weren't able to um, build upon this so you know if you go back to the original series you know it's it's kind of the, it's kind of similar in theme you know you had the Wrath of Khan that was this, the original crew's second go around and that was a very successful film and the same is true of um, the Generations crew and even though you know I've seen Re- Insurrection recently and it's a solid film and like we'll talk about it later but i mean it doesn't build upon the successes that they did it doesn't continue the story you know we just kind of all these films are just kind of one-offs and um i think that's kind of what i i I was most disappointed about after this movie going into insurrection that they weren't able to like continue a a thematic storyline a story arc of any sort and and you know and i was also disappointed because they were able to do that in the show they had a story arc that went throughout the whole show and they weren't able to do that in the movies that's that's when i watched this movie i i because i love it so much and they weren't able to to build upon it so that's i always feel disappointed at the end of this movie i'm like oh i have to watch insurrection next which like i said is a solid movie but it's just a one-off i'm really reaching here but i wonder what this movie could have been like if they'd had a little more money I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have been better. That money is doesn't fix everything. I, I would hate that. You know, I, well, I don't want to mess up, mess it up. Like we, what we got is so good. I'll take it. Well, there's a theme here. You know, you you talked about this before. You know, the movies that they kind of went cheap on were actually kind of success. You know, what Con was a cheap movie to make. This one was wasn't um, Undiscovered Country had a small budget. It was a very successful film. So. I mean, it had, yeah, I think it was maybe 30 million or something, but you know, the vast majority of that was just for the stars and stuff that I mean, they'd spent sure. most of the money before they shot a, a foot of a film. Uh, I got to spend my, my minute here begging Paramount to give us a new transfer. I will say this movie wasn't as bad as Generations or certainly not as bad as looking at the transfer wasn't as bad as Undiscovered Country. Uh, but it still has too much noise reduction. It still has incredibly, you know, limited like early two thousands love kind of transfers of uh, contrast and stuff. Wow, this movie would look so great with like P three color and you know an HDR four K transfer. Holy moly, this movie could be gorgeous. I really wish Paramount would spend a few bucks and give us new transfers. It's so sad when I look at like my four K collection and. I mean, everything under the sun. I, every, every single big IP has had that now, except for Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek's the only one. 
you know. I mean, what is the deal? I think just today, I be- Paramount, right, announced a number of titles. And uh, why? I, I don't understand. Like today, like today oh, yeah. they announced a number of Eddie Murphy starring films, and that's fine. But uh, wh- what's the deal? There's there's like no strategy behind this at all. It's just, it's like a joke. Well, I'm not saying it's okay, but their strategy there was you know like um, coming to America and Beverly Hills Cop getting 4K transfers are because. Coming to America has a sequel coming out at Christmas. Well, it's still on the well, books sure. for Christmas. Yeah, but it's still in the grand scheme of small potatoes compared to what absolutely. Been on yeah. I mean, that, that's what there's no vision or whatever you know. You know, and if you, if you're looking for an excuse, I mean, last year was the 40th anniversary of the motion picture. So there would have been a great excuse to do a decent transfer. You know. Hey, next year is the 25th anniversary of First Contact. In other news, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> How did the Phoenix land? Never figured that one out. That's why they didn't show it. <laughs> I like the Phoenix. I think it's a cool ship. Yeah, yeah. I love those scenes with the um, Picard and Data when they're first looking at the the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I always quote that line. It is an historical irony, irony that Doctor Cochrane would select an instrument of mass destruction to inaugurate an era of global peace. I probably got a word or two wrong there, but I just, that just sounds like a data line, you know, it's great. I think I started using the phrase highly unlikely because data says it when he's talking, it is highly unlikely that Borg will be able to, uh, you know, break his encryption. I think I still use highly unlikely because of that. (laughs) That's how much I watched this darn movie, let me tell you. I remember in preparation for this movie, I remember watching like Best of Both Worlds on VHS you know, the day before or something like that. Maybe the weekend before. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's such a great movie. What is this movie about? Well, you know, you ha- you have the the Picard character, and I think that's kind of you know he's he's kind of the he's the main theme of this of this film, kind of as he should be. And you kind of go back to the past. You know, these things that we know happened to him in the show Next Generations that affected him to the core. Um, and him being confronted by those, not only, you know, being confronted by, you know, not only his own insecurities about being, being a Borg and going through all that, but, you know, the, the feelings that, you know, Starfleet doesn't trust him. Um, and, and then he has his family around him, you know, and we mentioned this numerous times around, you know, these crews or family that support him and, and bring him up. Um, and then he kind of goes through this whole journey of like, um, of, of dealing with all this anger in the midst of, you know, fighting the Borg. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got that confrontation with Worf. It's a, it's a powerful scene where he calls Worf a coward. You know, it, it's, it's such a powerful scene because we know the relationship between Worf and Picard from next generation, just, you know, the things that the, these two men went together that, you know, we know when Worf says, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. He really means that for sure. Really? It- that's only because of his incredible respect for Picard that he doesn't kill him at that moment, and he really would kill anybody else that said for that. For sure, for sure. And then, yeah, we have them. Then continue. We have that powerful scene, you know, where he's like, "I'm going to make them pay," and it's just, it's this outsider, the stranger, you know, from another time that um, points out to him this, you know, book from the 1800s, Moby Dick. You know, uh, Ahab's got to kill as well, and we we know enough about Picard and his his love of literature and art and that kind of things that this hits hits him. He's able to quote the book right there on the spot, and he and it's able to bring him back to his 
to his center, to to who he is, because he's not this revenge Picard that's been going on for the last 20 minutes before this. That's not him. And it, it brings him back to reality, humanity, to, to where he needs to be to make the right decisions, not just for himself, but the crew around him and um, humanity in general. Um, I, I don't know if you could call it, rede- it's not a, re- a redemption story, but it's just, uh, I don't, I don't know what the quite the proper term would be to call it. Maybe, maybe Steve, you can bring it better into light. But I mean, you know, he kind of goes through this emotional met- metamorphosis through this movie, and um, kind of by the end of it, you feel like he's kind of come to terms to what has happened to him. Yeah, you know, that's what's so amazing about this is that we, we, relatively speaking, we didn't talk a lot about um, Picard and the journey and and his emotional state. We talked some about it, but you know, when we were lauding this film, it's a lot about a lot of other things. But that is at the core of it, really. And um, and also, as we've found, oftentimes in 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 kind of fast-paced action adventure romps you know it's not as easy to you know distill it into a place where here what is this film about but but ultimately yeah it's it's his story and and, and he ultimately have to has to um come to terms with relying on those he can trust and a team and it it, it shows kind of the um the dangers of uh, going on that path, you know, I mean, obviously we've had plenty of Trek stories, the, 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 the biggest Trek stories, perhaps that, that, that rely on this kind of Moby Dick obsession kind of thing. Um, um, but in that way, it's, it's, it's like a, it's kind of Picard's, you know, Picard's first contact is Kirk's Wrath of Khan in a way, that kind of deal, but it actually it's, it's the reverse, right? And in, in Wrath of Khan, it's the villain going on that path, but nonetheless, the the um what's interesting about it is that he he comes he finds that he finds that through those you know like uh, lily points that out to him but he ultimately relies on the others and makes the connections and everyone it, it's kind of um coming to terms with the notion that you can rely on a team and you know if you if you fall on these emotions on these notions of revenge and so on it can only lead down um a destructive path that that doesn't um get you where you want to be you know even even in this moment that is perhaps the most pivotal moment and one of the pivotal moments in in track history you know it's so important and really he's just in his rage he's thinking about revenge against what how he's been hurt you know which is which is a very human thing you have to kind of go back to remember like you know what what the board used him for i mean they not not they they took everything from him and they used that to kill his his fellow crew you know his fellow officers yep. and yep. and humanity and you know and and he, he has to to live with that for all these years you know the shame of you know you know ricard's probably more tight-knit than any of the other control wise as, as far as any of the other captains so you know mm-hmm. that that loss of control that he suffered through that boring experience um yeah i i like that they kind of came back that it's it was a great idea to come back to this for this movie because it highlights you know his vulnerabilities and his, his humanity and that and that's great to see that story play out in the captain because you, know, you usually when we all think of captains we think strong you know bold and you know no weaknesses but it's it's good to see that the humanity come through in them you know it's something they were able to accomplish with kirk in the movies and i, I think they did a good job of it in this movie with um, picard 
which which touches on the precarious balance they they navigated so well in this movie when they they wrote it and so on is that if they hadn't come back to that or hadn't done enough of that it would have affected the whole thing. We wouldn't be talking about how great it was because it would have been, you know, sure it's great action adventure romp, but what's the point, you know, or something, you know, but you just do enough of it, you know, can bring it back to the central point and the central character and some kind of emotional resonance. And it makes all the difference. Yeah. That, that reminds me, I, I wanted to also point out, you know, one of the things I'm going to criticize insurrection for in a couple of weeks is feeling like, yeah, I mean, this, this could have been an episode mm-hmm. and, I, and I want something big and a feature. And, and I, th- I think you could, you could say that about generations uh, other than having Shatner in it, that, really could have been done in an episode or two. But think about something like the deflector dish sequence in this movie. No way ever right. is that getting done in an episode. You know, I mean, it feels so big. And yes, I know the deflector dish is whatever, 10% smaller than it's supposed to be. Whatever. I understand that. They had, they still had some limitations. But that that sequence is so great. And I love that sequence. Sure. But it's just one of those things where when, I, when I'm watching, I'm like, this is a movie. You know, this this is this is not... You're never doing this in an episode ever. I'm, I'm, about that, I'm still, what happened to the Klingon, the the bored Klingon that got Lynch? He kind of carried him over to the other side of the ship. I mean, did he just kind of hang out? That that's one thing that Adam notes. Where did he go? But go ahead. Uh, he helped the Phoenix land. I think. There you go. <laughs> uh, Steve, do you have a spousal report for us? <laughs> well, you know, we didn't talk a great deal about this. She had seen it before for sure. We um I don't I don't know that she saw it when it was out or in the early, you know, shortly after it was released, but we had watched it before because of it being so good, you know. And so but I mean, you know, she laughed and enjoyed it and it was a tense. You know, I mean, it was yeah, she she liked it. I mean, it was it's like we said, it 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 works. It works on multiple levels. That's what's so amazing about it. We take it for granted because it's, it's so hard to do. You, you have something that fans like that not so much fans like that, you know, that is fun, that has something to say. I mean, that's very rare, you know I mean? So, yeah. I can't imagine how somebody could would not like this movie. I think I read that it has still might have the highest Rotten Tomatoes score of any Star Trek movie. Or I think that's right. Yeah. Or maybe it's an incredibly close second, but it's it's pretty dang high. It's like in the 90s. Everybody likes this movie. How could you not love this movie? You have a drunk Tiana in it. How could you not like it? <laughs> yeah, she gets to do some. She gets to show her her comedy chops. She's great in that scene. She's really great. We don't have the time. I guess everybody kind of gets a scene. Eh, I'm not sure Crusher really. Well, she kind of gets a scene. Not really. She kind of gets short shrifted in these films. Yeah, yeah I guess she kind of does actually. We follow the captain's orders once he gives them. Yeah, that's kind of all she got, I guess. But She did get to bring out Don Picardo. Let's do six degrees for Star Trek First Contact. Adam, are you going first or second? I suppose I'll get this over with and go first. I think this might be a hard one, but I'm not sure. Alice Krieg plays the Borg Queen. She reprised her role as the Borg Queen twice with the Voyager crew. The first was the series finale Endgame. What was the other? Part two Endgame. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the episode. She was like the one before it. I don't. I don't recall. I think you have to parse my words. I, I I asked the question very carefully. She reprised her role as the board queen twice with the Voyager crew. The first was the series finale, Endgame. What was the other? Like I said, it's, it's like a part of Endgame. Mm. Steve. 
This is tricky. So you're saying <laughs> the uh, first was the finale. <laughs> hmm. She reprised her role as the board queen twice with the Voyager crew. It's too late for me to figure <laughs> You guys might think this was an unfair question when you hear the answer then. Okay. Uh, Star Trek The Experience. Oh. Okay. okay. So, was that a fair question? <laughs> sure. You get to write them, so. Well, I mean, like I said. All, all your questions are fair. I worded it very carefully. I didn't say, you know, in what episode or whatever. You know, I said. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's all right. Yeah, it's a fair right, question. All right. So, yes. Uh. Listeners, if you've never experienced Star Trek The Experience, that famed uh, wonderland that we had for a decade in Vegas when it first opened, it had Klingon Encounter, the Mm -hmm. Enterprise D next-gen thing. They had originally had two of those, and then eventually they took the second one away and added a Voyager thing, which I think was called the Borg 4D? I I think so. And that included new footage that was shot with Alice as the board queen, and Janeway was in it, and Ricardo, or, you know, the doctor. I forget who else. Anyway. All right, Steve, mm-hmm. James Cromwell plays Zephram Cochran. In what year did he reprise that role? What year? Mm-hmm. Like in our time? Our time. Okay, 01? Yes, sir. Broken Bow, 2001. All right. Well, First Contact is in the books. Such a great movie. I'm going to be watching it forever. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully the next time I watch it, it's with a new transfer. 4K HDR. Please, Paramount, please. I'll give you my money in advance if that would help. Me too. All right, folks. Thanks for spending an hour with us. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is... Facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. We are going to be back in two weeks to discuss Star Trek Insurrection. (laughs) And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.